Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. now for about two months, I suppose, or so, maybe. Um, but there's a lot going on. Last week, chapter five, we, we come across John weeping because he sees a scroll sitting in the right hand of the Father who is seated on the throne. No one can open this scroll. No one can take the scroll from the Father. So John's weeping because there's no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. And then arises Jesus And it very clearly articulates who he is. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Root of David. He is the Lamb of God. He is standing there as if a lamb who has been slaughtered, the text tells us, that shows that he has conquered death, he has conquered sin by a sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. So he is there. He can open this scroll. So we unpacked all of that last week. And now what we're going to see is that this scroll that is perfectly sealed with seven seals... There's seven seals on it, which, again, the numbers matter very, very much in Revelation. It means it's perfectly sealed. He's the only one who can now open it. Jesus opens things very differently than me. I get mail. I just start ripping it open. Jesus is going to very carefully open one seal at a time. If he opened all seals at once... It would be even worse than what we're going to see. Like, it'd be chaos. And so he very meticulously is going to open up scroll, the scroll. He does not open things the way that I do. But here's, here's what I want to do. I want to lay some groundwork for you because there's a lot here. And for some of us, it may make us super anxious. It may just create fear. It may just make you very confused and uneasy because there's a lot taking place in this text. And we got to say, okay, is this present day? Is this past? Where are we at? Where, how does this apply to my life right now and what is going on in our culture and our world? And so first off, this cannot mean for us what it did not mean for the original audience. We've been saying that over and over again, but it's very important for you to hear. We cannot look at this through an American lens and say, oh my gosh, that is Biden, and this is Trump, and this is Russia, and that's China, and this is North Korea. If we do that, what we've done is we have missed Jesus, and our eyes need to be focused on him the whole time. This cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. Second, end times theology is very open-handed. Most of end-time theology does not determine your salvation. Now, if you said, I don't believe that Jesus is going to come back and reign forever and take home the saints, I would say, okay, now we're getting into some issues that would maybe make me question your salvation. But if you want to believe that he's coming back before these seals are open or you think he's coming back after these seals are open, you could still be in heaven for eternity. All right? So the end-time theology, eschatology, is very open-handed. I'm going to unpack where I've landed some more this week. What I want you to know is that I believe that Jesus is going to return one more time. I don't think he's returning multiple times, which will come into play as how we read this text. Again, you could disagree with me, and that is okay. That is okay. 
What I want you to know, though, is this. As a church, and I can say this for um, the whole elder team, the, the pastors, no matter where we would land on this, it would not change our approach to ministry. Our approach to, to ministry will stay the same, to connect people to the family and God because of the gospel, because of who God is, his story, and we'll take the gospel, the story of God, to those who do not yet know it. That will never change, regardless of when we think Jesus will return and how long that will be. That is the mission, and we'll stay focused on that mission no matter what. And here's the fifth piece as I lay this groundwork for you, and it's our big idea for the day. It's not about the how and when, but about the who and what. It is about Jesus and what he's going to do, not how and when he's going to do it. If we lose focus of Jesus, and we will really, really quick, if we start trying to decipher this and think, ooh, this means this, and he's going to return now, we will lose focus of the one who is worthy to even open the scroll to begin with. And that we cannot do. We cannot do. Jesus is going to bring forth God's plan for all of history, which includes all of us. So we cannot focus on anything else and how it plays out. We'll miss him in this. And what we can know about him is this, two things, by him opening the, the seals of this scroll. One, he's worthy. Two, he's sovereign. He's sovereign over everything that's getting ready to take place. And so we're going to walk through each seal, what it can mean, how it can apply to today, and we're going to just try to pick it apart and learn from it. Um, remember, this is the consummation of all of history that's getting ready to take place as these seals are opened up. There's nothing's being said here that's never been, that hasn't been said before in the Bible. If you go back and you read in Exodus and you look at the plagues, there's seven plagues, very, very similar to this. Go and read Jesus' own words in Matthew 24. He's laying this out for us. So let's just dig in. Verses one and two. So John, he now he's watched the lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come, and I looked, behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering. So the white horse is the first seal. It's been opened. This first seal, this white horse, is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. This is a cheap imitation of Jesus. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, go to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. It's not going to be on the screens, but you can write this down. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is, it, on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. For his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and lords of lords. That is the real deal. Everything else that came before him, and a cheap Imitation that will not meet anything except for failure. So we look at this, and then the white horse is a failure. And so I want you to know this very, very clearly, that Jesus is warning people of this. And, Jesus, and, and he says this in Matthew 24, he, and as it starts off, he says, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, so his disciples come to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. 
For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. This has been happening now for over centuries, over century after century of many types of Antichrist coming. Well, we saw all through the Old Testament, especially if you were with us through lest we turn and anytime you've read the Old Testament, what you can see is types of Christ. Many different things that are pointing to the coming of Jesus. And since Jesus, there have been types of Antichrist. You could say right now, you could look at different people and, and, and maybe you would joke and be like, oh, it's so-and-so or it's this person. You could say, maybe try to make a case for an Antichrist. But think of every culture when they've seen people, what people must have thought when Adolf Hitler was ruling and reigning and doing the terror across earth that he was doing. Don't think, the people didn't think, this must be it. This must be the Antichrist or Stalin or any other person over the centuries who has had a very strong and prevalent rule over the earth. People could look and say, that's an Antichrist. They are a type of Antichrist. There is going to be an Antichrist, the Antichrist, who's going to come. And, and we'll unpack that in coming weeks throughout Revelation. There will be a final Antichrist who will lose that final battle to Jesus. Is that what this seal is saying? Quite possibly. But what we'll know and what we'll get to, and I'll unpack more, is in Matthew 24, 8, that verse there, Jesus tells us that there's going to be birth pains. So as we see these things, it's on the screen there, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. There's going to be things moving us in the direction of the consummation of all of history, and it's going to build until it's the final birth of all this happening. So there have been antichrist building. But here's the deal. There is a way to believe in Jesus that has nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible. So if you are sitting in a church, and hopefully this never will be the case here because you're sitting here today. If you're in a church being taught about a Jesus that cannot line up with this book, you are being taught a type of antichrist. There are churches that teach about Jesus that do not lead to salvation. It's just a version of yourself, but called a deity. It's just a better moral version of you or a better moral version of that preacher. That is not Jesus of the Bible. And so there is a way to see that there is an antichrist, a Christ that will lead you astray. That's what they're warning us of here now. So we don't want a cheap imitation. We want the real thing. We want the Lord of Lord, the Lion of Judah, the, the, the Lamb of God. That's who we want. So we move then to the next horse. We're just going to keep going. The second seal says, when he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come. And out come another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slay one another. And he was given a great sword. The red horse is pretty clear what he does. He brings war. Matthew 24, verses 6 through the first part of 7 and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This is Jesus telling his people, this is going to happen. So this has been going on forever and ever. Wars are not something that are new. We can go century after century, and just there's always huge catastrophic wars. There's wars going on now. There's wars going on 20 years ago and 200 years ago. It's a repeat pattern going on and on. Will there be a complete loss of everything and, and war in a different way? Yes, by all means. But I, I want you to look really, really close at verse 4 with me. John says, And came out another horse 
bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Now listen to these next words. So that people should slay one another. He doesn't say so nations or countries or kingdoms. He said so people. Think of the turmoil and the rage that goes on in our world right now between individuals. You can't go on social media without seeing an argument. All you got to, if you're bored, just click on one controversial, controversial post and read the comments. You will say, like, it's, in a sad way, you'll stay somewhat entertained for hours because people are at war with one another. If you're on this side of the aisle and I'm on this side of the aisle, I can't stand you. I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'll unfriend you and you're canceled. You're out of my life. There's a rage going on inside of us. There has been a peace taken from us. Is there a greater peace that's going to be taken from us? Yes, I believe so from this text. Again, this is birth pains building to this. But we have divided ourselves as people so much that we are ready to slay one another over the littlest things. I, mean, I don't see any Cubs fans in here, but my gosh, if there was, right, we would just be livid. I got a light in the mood. It's tense. I think it's a heavy text. If you're a Cubs fan, for real though, like <laughs> some issues with you. People are losing their minds. Like there's road rage. How many of you, honestly, no show of hands. You don't have to like, this isn't confession time. We already did a call to confession. How many of you this week like could have flipped out or did flip out? Yeah, if someone's raising their wife's hand for them, I won't call them out. <laughs> I saw that though. I saw it. We'll talk later. For real, like you're driving down a road, someone cut you off. Someone didn't pull away from I, I I did yesterday. Someone was driving too slow. I'm like, my gosh, just get out of my way. Why? Because there's sin in my heart. It shouldn't be there. But yet Satan will just, he's in, prodding, taking away our peace. There's rage rooms where you can pay to go into a room with a bat and safety glasses and beat, just beat stuff. Lamps, walls, pictures, whatever. There is a messed up issue in our hearts if we need to do that as believers. It sounds silly, but I'm being serious. Like we should not, as believers, need to deal with that kind of anger. Uh, when I was planting or getting ready to plant Collinsville Community Church, this is before we merged, the two churches, I went through the assessment through the SIN Network. Our church now is our SIN Network and Acts 29, but both have very robust assessments for people to make sure they're qualified to plant the church. They don't want to spend the time and the effort and the money and the resources into someone who would eventually fail. That's, it's too much. There's too much at stake with people's lives and their eternity. And so we fill out questionnaires and personality profiles and all these things. We got toward the end, and I had to go to a, my, with my wife to a two-day assessment and we're sitting in Springfield, Illinois, and we're doing all these interviews for two days. It's like 12-hour long days, and we're at the end. And I'm sitting across the desk from a guy, and he's got a computer. He's got all my scores and all my profile and every, just everything, everything there. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to use the computer. So I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted from all these interviews. I'm getting frustrated. My body language is saying I'm frustrated, and everyone could tell. I didn't think they could. I thought I was hiding it really, really, really well. But obviously I wasn't because two days later when I go to do the uh, Skype call, this is before Zoom and all that, and we lived in this digital world. This is how we did the, the call to know if I got the green light to plant or not. I remember sitting there um, all with my computer and Charles Campbell, who's a dear friend of mine on the other side, and he said, you're getting the green light, but if you don't work on your anger, you're not going to make it as a church planter and we will remove your funding. And I was like, oh my gosh. 
And so since then, it was 2014, so over the past eight years, God has done a radical work in me. There's still moments. I'm not saying I've got it all under control, but there's still, there's moments. But God has done a transformation in me. And I, I want you to hear, if you have an anger issue, like don't let that define you as a believer because that is what Satan wants. He wants to rip us apart and make us always on edge, always angry, just raging. It's one of the seals. It's there. It's just going to only get worse. worse. It's, again, it's birth pains. But we move to the third seal. Verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard that what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the wine and oil. Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 7, there, there's just five words. He says, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. There's going to be famines. This black horse comes, and he wipes out everything that we need, but not everything that we want. Everything that we need, but not everything that we want. There's a complete poverty of real needs, so when you look at verse 6 at the end, he says, and do not harm the oil and wine. So you have wheat. You can buy it. You can buy it for a day's wage. That's a denarius, a day's wage. You can buy a, a, a day's worth of wheat for a, a day's pay. Or you could buy three days worth of food with the barley for a day's pay. So these were staples in their diet. This is a very important in their time. So again, we don't want to make this try to be something that it's not. But for us, just imagine the staples of our diets. You can't buy maybe milk, eggs, and bread, and some chicken, okay? Like you're going to spend enormous amounts of money just to have enough to eat for that day. It's about 16 times what it should cost if you break down like what they would have spent on food back then according to a denarius here in this text. I hope you're tracking with me. But what is interesting is that the luxuries of life are left untouched. That's scary to hear this, that you have all that you want, but nothing that you need. You're left malnourished. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I, I opened up this, the sermon preaching about how we can be deficient of the glory of God. Think, if you have all that you want, but nothing that you need, you will eventually die. You can't live off wine and oil. Wine's good. It's great. It's from the Lord. It says it makes our souls and our hearts glad, but you will not live off of it. You will die. You will perish. Matt Chandler says it this way, that this can point to a poverty of the soul. That as, as Americans, I'm speaking as Americans right now, we have everything that we want. You, Amazon made it easier for you to have everything. You don't even have to put it in your cart anymore. You just swipe right, buy now, and like that, you get it if you have Prime. If you don't have Prime, you are living in the Stone Age, and there's something <laughs> wrong with you. Get Prime. But really, like you have social media, you have Hulu, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Paramount, whatever you want. Like there's entertainment at your fingertips. There's everything that you need, but yet we are, have a poverty, a famine of the soul. Where we're missing out on what Jesus has. All these other things, we don't need them. We want them. And yet we are just being stripped away of the very thing that we need, which is him. His balm for our, in, for our broken hearts. That's what we need. And so when we look at this, it's scary because could there be famine? Yes, because if you're, if you're living over in 
Kenya right now or Uganda or, or Haiti or somewhere like that. You're going to read this. You're going to read it very differently than us sitting here as Americans. You're going to read it and say, no, this is a literal famine. Like, I don't know how I'm going to eat tomorrow. But for us today, we can see it as a, as a famine of our souls. We get to the next seal. It's the pale horse. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice, the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So a pale horse. I tried to think, okay, what color is that? I did some studying. It literally would mean that it is like a pale, like vomit green, just of sickness. I color code my sermons. Um, as I write, I change colors. I handwrite all my sermons, and I tried to find a color that was as close to puke as I could so that I knew, like, you think I'm crazy, but just so you can see, I wanted to write in white, but you can't read white on white paper, so I made a black square so I could write the white horse. Like, that's how, like... OCD I am. I wanted everything to match. And so we get to this pale horse, though, and get moved past my weirdness. And what we see is that none of these other horses' riders are named, but yet this one is. It says in his rider's name was Death, and Hades followed behind. See, all of these horses that have came in the first three seals, they can bring death upon them with themselves. I mean, famine could bring death. War can bring death. And Antichrist equals death because there is no salvation from, to life, eternal life. This, this horse here, this rider, is death and sickness, evil coming in full force. It is here. It kills a quarter of the earth. That is some Thanos snapping his fingers and people disappearing kind of death. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have 23 movies to go and watch to get caught up. All right? But Jesus, he warns us. He says in Matthew 24, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So this horse is like a culmination of all of them. It's coming. It's going to just wreck everything. It's going to bring death. It's going to bring sickness. It's going to wipe out multitudes of people. And you say, whoa, we just got done with the pandemic. Was that, the, was that it? No. But it was birth pains. His birth pain's building to it. So if you thought COVID was bad, then just wait, because it's going to get worse. I'm not trying to say that to be uh, negative and just being real with you that this is it. So the fifth seal now, fifth seal says this. When you open the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Now I'm going to pause here real quick. This is why I don't believe that we will be raptured before these seals get open. If the church is raptured before the first seal gets opened, then there would be no brothers and fellow servants here to complete the number of martyrs. Okay? Now, you say, whoa, that scares me because I don't want to be here for any of this. I'm going to break that down and why you're going to be okay, but you will be okay, and we'll get to it. But these people, these men and women who have stayed faithful to God in the face of all tribulation, not this tribulation of the end of times, but they stayed true to the word of God, have been martyred. They have been 
killed because they stood faithful, no matter the consequences, are now asking God, when? When will you avenge our deaths? When will you make things right? And he says, just rest a little longer. Just rest a little longer. So what we can know is this, is that no matter what consequences you will face in this life, stay true to the word of God because he will avenge you. He will avenge you. He's not going to forget about you. He's not, man, that was 100 years ago. Like, I don't forgot about how that happened to them. He will avenge you. No matter whether you're a martyr or you were just because you stood true to, the, to what this book teaches us, he will avenge you. I can promise you that because his word says it. His word says it. So as our culture pushes Christians further and further to the margins of society, you may very well face some type of consequences for, your, for believing in the word of God, but stay true to it. Hold strong. Stand firm. However you want me to say it, don't waver on the truth to God because there's maybe consequences that come with it. Many people won't. They're going, they're going to fall to the, to the wayside, but we, hopefully, as a church, we do what we're supposed to do. So this, these martyrs should be an example to us that no matter the consequences, we stay true. Then we can trust that God will avenge us, but yet we find rest in him. He tells them to rest. We also can just rest in the Lord, knowing he is sovereign, he is in control, he will take care of this. There's a very strong presence in God's word for the martyrs in the kingdom of heaven. They have a special place to play. To play. But their number was not complete yet. Their number was not complete. God had a, has a plan. There's a number of martyrs that will be martyred, and then they'll be complete. Whatever that number may be, there's some different ways to look at it, um, and we'll talk about that in coming weeks. But after that, we see the sixth seal, the, sixth, the final seal in this part of the revelation, and this is what it says. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the, and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. So they're saying, hide us from the face of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. So hide us from Jesus, for the great day of their wrath has come. As I read this, what I understand is like, this is where things are going to start getting very real. This may be at the point where we are raptured. I don't know. But it, I know that this wrath will not be the wrath that believers will feel. Why? Because these are unbelievers are crying, hide us from the wrath that has come. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has drank every ounce of the wrath of God on that cross. He took it all in. And that's why it says, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. He is now the one that gets to distribute that wrath because he soaked it all in. He took it all in on the cross and he will be the one who distributes it back out, but not to us because we are sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so just in my own simple mind, I don't know that we will be present during this. But if we are, I can rest assured that he will protect us from everything I need to be protected from which I know is the only thing I need protected from, is his wrath. Everything else just brings me home to him sooner. So we know he's got this. But look at this. The sky is gone 
Mountains and islands are literally displaced. They're no longer sitting where they were supposed to be. The sun is black. The moon is red. Stars are falling like fruit falling from a tree. This is chaos. This is cosmic upheaval has taken place. All things are just going just bonkers. Like it's nuts. This will be the beginning of the wrath of the Lion of Judah. The Lamb of God who conquered death and sin is now dealing out the wrath of God that he willingly took in on that cross, like I just said. And who will be scared? All those who who have rejected him. Look at it. It says, the kings, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves. The only people who will be safe are those who are covered by the blood. This is why I mentioned Exodus in the beginning of of the sermon. When you look at the seven plagues, this is how it plays out. The seventh plague was that the firstborn of, of all of Egypt would die. The only way that you would not die would be if you took a, a lamb, as, as God directed, slaughtered that lamb and smeared the blood on your doorpost. And so when the angel of death passed through, he didn't kill the firstborn of your home. The only way we're not going to face this wrath is because the blood of Jesus had covered us. All that was pointing to this. All of history continuing built to this. And so, but the other people who have not been covered by the blood of Jesus, it doesn't matter their money. So hear me today, like your money won't matter. Your social status won't matter. How many followers on Instagram you have won't matter. Your influence in life and your position in life, it won't matter. No one can stand before the one seated on the throne, the text says. It does not matter how powerful you were, how influential you were, how good-looking you were, anything. None of it will matter when you stand before his throne. His wrath will come. And here's the deal. The terror of God's wrath is greater than the fear of death. They're crying out, wanting to die. They just want to get out of it. like, just kill me now. I can't be here. I can't. They don't even want to look at his face. And so for us, now what do we do? We got these six seals that we've just read about being open. Like, that's heavy. And so what do we do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk them backwards and give you just a simple application for each of the six seals that we talked about today. The sixth seal, this cosmic upheaval. It's very simple. Put your faith in Jesus. If your faith and your trust is in Jesus, you're born again, you're covered by his blood, and this wrath being poured out, you'll be protected from it ultimately. I don't know what parts of it you will have to endure or not endure, but I promise you this, it will not be for eternity because you'll be with him. So that's how we handle the sixth seal. The fifth seal, the martyrs. Be courageous for the Lord, even to the point of death, even to the point of losing your job, even to the point of losing your friend or family. Stay firm in the word of God. The fourth seal, the sickness, the death. We pray with an expectant heart that God will heal people. In the face of death, in the face of sickness, we pray to a sovereign God that we expect for him to heal. Will he always heal? No, because he's, he's got a greater plan that does not always serve our wants and desires, but sometimes he does. And so we pray with an expectant heart that he will. The third seal, the one of famine. We live with radical generosity in the face of poverty, not just with our money, but with the gospel. When people's souls are deprived of the very thing that they need, but they have everything that they want, we do not cling to the gospel as our own personal treasure for us to keep buried away, but yet we go to our neighbors and to the nations and we take that gospel to them because they have a famish of the soul. And yes, along the way, we 
are very generous with our money so that those who have a need, their needs are met. The second seal, this is, I'm serious about this. Get your anger under check. Look at Ephesians where it talks about putting on the armor of God and there's the, the shoes, the boots. It's the, it's the gospel of peace. You need to put that on. Like I, I say this to you as someone who literally does deal with anger. There is, that is not a healthy or fun way to live life. Find peace in God. Otherwise, you will be miserable. Everything will make you mad, stuff that doesn't need to make you mad. So find peace in him. And then the, the first seal, the Antichrist. We proclaim Christ alone. Always and every time we proclaim Christ alone. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no alternative. There is no, there, there is no imitation. You're not buying a knockoff gospel and it working. You're not going to fool anyone. So we proclaim Christ alone. Until when? Well, Matthew 24, 14. We preach this gospel of the kingdom to, to all nations, and then the end will come. That's what he tells them. He tells them all the stuff's going to happen. He says, just keep preaching the gospel of this kingdom to all nations, and then the end will come. And we can do this because the Great Commission, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, like, I am with you to the ends of the age. So we do this in light of everything that's going to happen. We do this with great confidence. We do this with great confidence, knowing that Matthew 24, 8, these are just birth pains. One day, the real thing's coming. But until then, we stand firm, we stand firm, and we preach the gospel. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word that we get a glimpse into history of what's going to happen to the future, how you're going to bring everything to an end. Lord, I pray that in time, Lord, that we may see that because we've, we've helped usher in your kingdom by taking the gospel to the nations. God, I pray that as we hear these words, Lord, I pray that you ease our anxieties, our fears, our nerves. Um, God, this is heavy. But God, more than anything, Lord, I pray that, that those who are watching online and those who are sitting in this room who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you save them so that when that sixth seal is open, they're not the ones crying out for the rocks to crush them, that they're covered, covered by your blood, covered by your goodness, protected like a good father would protect. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask that you guys stand with me. We're going to respond to this by taking communion together. This is how we can be covered by his blood because he gave his body for us and now we proclaim that until he comes. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim his death.